At People's Capital Group, we help you invest in real estate. Build your wealth by owning professionally managed apartment buildings in the northern New Jersey market. We want to show you how owning real estate is attainable, even for the busy professionals that don't have the time or experience investing in real estate. Now, we only work with select people who are serious about building wealth. So find out if you qualify at peoplescapitalgroup.com. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Fragnito. We have a special guest today, but before we break into that, I want to talk about what we do here at the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. We discuss in-depth topics explaining how we help people invest in high-demand real estate and why over the last decade, dozens of people have decided to invest passively with People's Capital Group. Some episodes include interesting guests that span dozens of different types of industries. Other episodes offer analysis of popular topics that pertain to people seeking to learn how to build passive wealth in real estate. So listen in and enjoy our off-the-cuff podcasts made to entertain, educate, and help you learn how to create passive wealth in real estate. To learn more, visit peoplescapitalgroup.com. We have a great guest today. We're going to focus on a, a side of real estate that some people may not find interesting, but it's very, very important. We're going to make it fun today. And our guest today is Brandon Hall, founder of The Real Estate CPA. How are we doing today, Brandon? Doing really well, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I've seen you around. I've known you for a number of years, at least I followed you for a number of years here. I feel like I know you. You're uh, in the space of really digging into the syndication tax advice and tax guidance. I know you're a, a tax specialist and a CPA, um, but I want to have you on the show because you're not just any ordinary CPA. Uh, you're really dialed into this passive loss versus active loss, understanding the benefits of investing in real estate, the tax benefits. But you know, a lot of my investors say, hey, I earn a high W-2 income. I'm a, I'm a doctor and I get nailed on taxes. So if I invest in your apartment building, can I use that tax depreciation to write off my W-2 income? And I say, well, unfortunately you can't, but at least we can create no more tax burdens with this investment. And they say, well, explain that to me. And I always kind of have trouble really explaining it. It's a little complicated. So I'm going to allow you to explain this uh, passive loss versus active loss, but also give yourself a little introduction here and, and tell the people about uh, what you do a little more if you can. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And uh, happy to talk about that topic because we get those questions all day long as well. Uh, my name is Brandon Hall. I'm founder and managing partner at the Real Estate CPA. It's a national accounting firm that I started back in 2016. Uh, today, we have around 800 clients nationwide. I've got 32 staff. Uh, so we're, we're kind of scaling up going big time with it. But yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, built the firm by primarily just engaging with real estate investors on social media, believe it or not. I was always the, the guy that was like, well, I'll, I'll record. I've got 20 minutes. I'm going to go record a, a podcast episode. Or I'm going to go write a blog post. I'm not going to go and network at my local, you know, meetup or something like that, even though in person is important, but that has just helped us kind of scale and get out in front of so many different people. But, um, but yeah, my, my mission is to help all landlords out there, big or small. Um, we, we do a ton of education, a ton of content, um, all for free at the real estate CPA. So that's awesome. 
Yeah. Uh, now, where would you like to start with the passive activity stuff? Because that's a really, sure. uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's how would you answer that question? Right. I'm a doctor. I earn five hundred thousand dollars a year on my W-2. Uh, unfortunately, about a third of it goes the, more than a third of it goes to the IRS. And uh, I want to invest in people's capital group, though. I know they're a good firm. They have a good track record. And I want to own some New Jersey apartment buildings and get that K-1 tax form at the end of the year, get that K-1 tax depreciation and write off my high W-2 income here. Um, so how can I do that? And, and can I even do that? Yeah. So I always I always like to start by, by advising people to not let the tax tail wag the dog. Taxes are important. It's an important part of wealth planning and financial management. But I want to make sure that we invest in deals because they make economic sense, not because we're trying to write off our W-2 income. <laughs> and we we have this same conversation. We onboard probably 30 clients a month. And I would say we have the same conversation with about half of them every single month. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Now, taxes are really important to understand because if you can get it right, over time, you're going to build a portfolio of income streams. Notice I didn't just say real estate, mm -hmm. income streams of various businesses that you're a part of, real estate investments, whatever. But over time, you're going to build this portfolio of income streams. And if you structure it correctly, then, then you could end up with a extremely tax efficient portfolio of businesses or, or income streams. Um, so so if you invest in real estate and you have a W-2 job, uh, that real estate, the, the tax losses from real estate is not going to offset your W-2 income. There's just no, no real way around. Well, I shouldn't say there's no, no way around it. There is one way around it, which we probably won't dive into today. Um, but you can't, you can't just go pull the trigger on investing in a syndication deal or even your own rental property and think that you're going to be able to offset your W-2 income. You have to jump through some hoops to actually make something like that happen. It does take a lot of work. Uh, and we're going to talk about a little bit of that today. But um, but yeah, so so if you if you invest in rental real estate, um, or sorry, I, I guess let me back up. Even though you can't use the tax losses from investing in rental real estate immediately to offset your W-2, it doesn't necessarily make it a bad investment. And that's why I'm so big on don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Because if you make an investment in real estate and it creates tax losses and these tax losses are passive and they're suspended and you can't use them against your W-2, but then you go and you create another income stream that's passive and it actually produces income. I always like to use investing in a hair salon. So if I put $100,000 into a hair salon or if you're a physician and you're investing in surgical centers, uh, the income coming back to you can be passive income. And that passive income can be offset by your rental real estate losses. So we're not necessarily on the hunt here to offset W-2 job income. We're, we're kind of on the hunt to build out a sustainable portfolio of businesses that all net out against each other. Mm -hmm. And even if that's not the case, so let's just say that you, you're not going to do that at all. All you're ever going to do is invest in real estate and have this high income W-2 job. Mm -hmm. Real estate is still extremely tax advantageous even though you can't claim the losses today mm -hmm. because of depreciation. So if you're investing in rental real estate, uh, whether you do it personally or through a syndication or through a real estate fund, mm -hmm. um, you get to take depreciation on the property every single year. Depreciation tracks the deterioration of your asset over time. Even though real estate appreciates in value, your roof falls apart, your windows fall apart, the components that make up your property fall apart. So Correct. depreciation is meant to track that. 
Mm-hmm. And that depreciation shelters your cash flow. So there are tons of uh, examples that I that I have of our clients that that earn 10, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say 10, uh, five to six figures of income of cash flow, and they don't pay tax on it because of depreciation. Right. Even though they can't claim the tax loss, they still earn today, at least today, tax-free cash flow. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. And and that's the whole idea is to create income streams that are not creating additional tax burdens, right? Because if you're getting, you know, the W-2 income is the heaviest tax form of income, as you were saying. And if you're going to go out and invest that capital and get taxed again on those earnings, oh my gosh, it's just that that's so so frustrating. So by at least writing off those profit centers there and getting more tax appreciation from those investments, that's that's very interesting. Now, so that's one one aspect there. And then we also have the passive loss versus active loss, which I find really interesting, right? Because most of our listeners here are, are passive investors or learning about passively, possibly being a passive investor, or should they be an active investor and what that entails? So um, if we can break that down a little further, you know, what is a passive loss and what is an active loss and where is that line in the sand exactly? Yeah. So this is my favorite topic. And in, it's my favorite topic because it's the most important piece of taxes for real estate investors to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that is if you want to save any money on taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, every taxpayer, regardless of whether or not you're investing in rental real estate, mm-hmm. every taxpayer is subject to the passive activity rules. Uh, This is found in Section 469 of the Internal Revenue Code. So Section 469 of the Internal Revenue Code was put into place in 1986. And the whole reason that it was put into place was to stop high-income W-2 earners from using rental real estate as tax shelters to offset their high-income W-2 job. (laughs) So that's why these rules were put into place. Uh, The passive activity loss rules say that there are two types of passive activities. The first type of passive activity is any trade or business that you do not materially participate in. Mm -hmm. So if I invest in that hair salon and I don't materially participate in it, meaning that I don't spend much time in it, people outwork me, um, maybe I'm just the money partner, I'm not voting, I'm not on the board, I'm not advising, I'm just just the money guy, I'm just putting 100K up to get $10,000 passed back to me every year in the form of profit, that is a passive activity because I'm not materially participating in that activity. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the first part of what is a passive activity, any trade or business that I don't materially participate in. The other type of passive activity is all rental real estate activities, unless you qualify as a real estate professional. So all rental real estate activities by default are considered passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. So essentially what these passive activity loss rules do is they create two buckets of income. On the one hand, we have the passive income bucket, right? Any trade or business that I don't materially participate in goes into that bucket and all rental real estate activities, unless I qualify as a real estate professional, goes into that bucket, that passive income bucket. Right. We also have the non-passive income bucket on the other hand. So the non-passive income bucket includes my W-2 job, my business income, my gain on stock sales, dividends, interest. I know that that all sounds passive, but these rules say it's Mm non-passive. So the passive activity loss rules essentially in 1986 created two buckets of income. 
the passive income bucket and the non-passive income bucket. And the significance is that if you have a passive activity, or sorry, you have a loss from a passive activity, mm-hmm. your loss from the passive activity cannot jump out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket. And that's that's a big issue because my W-2 income and my business income is in the non-passive bucket. And I want that passive loss to offset that type of income, mm-hmm. right? So there are exceptions to the rule. Like I said, one is qualifying as real estate professional. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you qualify as real estate professional and you materially participate in your rental real estate activities, mm-hmm. then you can jump the rental out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket. And the significance on like investing in an LP deal is if I put $100,000 into a limited partnership or, or into a syndication where I'm, I am a limited partner, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can't materially participate in that syndication. So maybe I've built out my own real estate portfolio where I qualify as a real estate professional. I materially participate on my own rental portfolio. And mm-hmm. then I go in and make, and make this investment into a syndication I put 100K in, my K1 says I've got a $90,000 tax loss allocated to me because the syndication ran bonus depreciate or ran a cost extra study that gave them bonus depreciation. This $90,000 tax loss, if I'm a real estate professional, if I materially participate in my own portfolio, and if I make a grouping election, this $90,000 tax loss is now a non-passive loss and it can offset my CPA firm net income. If I'm not a real estate professional, or if I don't materially participate in my own portfolio, or if I don't make this grouping election, that $90,000 loss coming from this K1 activity is a passive loss. And that $90,000 loss can only offset other passive income, which is not my CPA firm income. It's not my W-2 income. That's all non-passive. And Mm -hmm. if there's no passive income for my passive for this $90,000 loss to offset, then it just becomes suspended and it gets carried forward indefinitely. Okay. All right. So then the idea is um, eventually you, you could just accumulate a, a lot of tax depreciation on the passive side that hopefully you can utilize uh, from passive cash flow coming in from the businesses or real estate you're invested in, but it doesn't cross over to the active side. And um, so you could be an active real estate investor, but then be in an LP investment, like take me, for example, let's say I decide to invest in one of my competitors as an LP, right? And uh, and I now that income from that investment would actually be a, a passive income and only apply to my, my pet. So, so even as an active real estate investor, it depends on my position in the investment. Yes. Yeah. So, so if you are a, if you are a real estate professional, Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you cannot be a real estate professional if you work a full-time job. If you're married and you work a full-time job and your spouse does not, your spouse might be able to qualify as a real estate professional. So there are spousal benefits at play here. Mm-hmm. But if you are a real estate professional and if you materially participate in your rental activities and if you make grouping elections, then yes, you can group in your limited partnership investments as well. Mm-hmm. And you can make those losses non-passive. Mm-hmm. But typically what happens is um, somebody will make an, an investment into an LP deal and they'll do some underwriting. And mm-hmm. that's really their only exposure to real estate. Or maybe they have a few LP investments that they've made. Mm-hmm. But the problem is as an LP specifically on those deals, you cannot materially participate. It, yeah. is, it is physically impossible for you to materially participate as an LP. So you either have to be on the GP side of the deal 
or you have to build out your own real estate portfolio that you own. So your own rentals that you manage in order to qualify as a real estate professional and in order to materially participate. Those are the two big ones. You got to qualify as a real estate professional. You have to materially participate. But assuming that you can't do that, it's not its not the end of the world. Like a lot of our clients that are in that high income space, they've got the W-2 job. It's like sales, physicians, uh, executives. Uh, what they'll do is they'll do some, some sort of a layering effect. So they'll buy into a syndication today for $100,000 and they'll get that $90,000 tax loss passed back to them. Right. That's a passive tax loss. They don't have any other passive income. So that 90K just gets suspended. Mm-hmm. Next year, they'll do it again. They'll buy another one. Next year, the year after that, they'll buy another one and so on and so forth. So they buy one or two a year and sure. they end up with you know $600,000 of suspended passive losses that have been carried forward. Mm-hmm. Now, that's suboptimal from a time value of money uh, standpoint, right? You want to take everything you can today. Dollar today yeah. is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. But it's not the worst thing because if I've got 600K of suspended passive losses sitting on my books, then when these syndications start liquidating, yeah. I don't have to pay tax on up to 600K of the gain, mm-hmm. right? So um, so there is some benefit there to these suspended passive losses. You can use it to kind of plan some sort of a layering effect with your syndication investments. Mm-hmm. Now, when you sell a building, uh, doesn't the tax appreciation that you took have to be essentially uh, repaid uh, in a sense? What, what is that term exactly? Yeah, so that is called depreciation recapture. And great point. Uh, whenever you sell a property, if you've taken a whole bunch of depreciation on it, mm-hmm. then you have a lower adjusted basis on the property. So if I bought a property for $100,000 and I depreciated it $30,000 during the hold period, my adjusted basis is $70,000. Yeah. If I sell the property for $100,000, mm-hmm. most people would say you bought it for 100, you sold it for 100, your gain is zero. But in reality, I bought it for 100, I depreciated it at 30, and then I sold it for 100. So my gain is $30,000, $100,000 sales, sales price minus $70,000 of adjusted basis. Mm-hmm. And that gain is not coming from appreciation, right? I bought it and sold it for exactly the same. So that gain is coming from depreciation. So mm-hmm. that, that gain from depreciation is called depreciation recapture. It must be recaptured. And it is recaptured. Um, it can be recaptured up to up to your top marginal tax rate if it was from bonus depreciation, mm-hmm. uh, but otherwise it's recaptured at a maximum twenty five percent rate. Mm-hmm. So if I sell that same property for one hundred and ten thousand dollars, and my adjusted basis is seventy thousand dollars, now I have thirty thousand dollars of depreciation recapture, and I have ten thousand dollars of gain from appreciation. So I have a forty thousand dollar total gain that I'm going to pay tax on. Now, if I could never use the passive losses, well, let's just say they sat on my books forever because I was a passive investor and I didn't have any other income streams that they could offset, then I can use the passive losses at that point to offset the entire gain, including the depreciation recapture. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. No, you know, it, it, it's a very complicated space, uh, taxes. You know, I, uh, I'm in that space a little bit through the day, talking to investors, thinking about it as well for our own real estate fund, but um, it, it's very you know complicated, and and they are also always changing laws or, or creating new ones. Um, I know there was some talk for a while of changing the 1031 tax exchange, and that that never really came to fruition. Uh, what do you think? Are they ever going to change that, or would that just be too much of a monkey wrench into <laughs> the entire commercial real estate system? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, they could. Uh, they, they were certainly talking about it pretty seriously, but it never made it never made its way into any of the proposed tax plans, and uh, and the proposed Biden tax plan ultimately fell through earlier this year. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's always on the cho- the ten thirty one exchange is always on the chopping block. And here's my working theory as to why: whenever you have a new party come in and they want to make some big changes, mm-hmm. changes require revenue, right? So one way to to get revenue is to increase taxes on taxpayers. Um, and, and how do you figure out how to do that? Well, you can go and increase the marginal tax rates, right? Which nobody likes. Nobody, nobody likes. You can increase yeah. capital gain tax rates, which more people like because they're not, uh, they're not rich. It benefits the rich. And, or you can go and ax the 1031 exchange, which in theory only benefits the rich. So what happens is you get these scores of attorneys that just scour the tax code over and over and over every cycle, every political cycle. Mm-hmm. And the 1031 exchange comes right back up as a, hey, we can generate billions of dollars of revenue here if we get rid of this thing. Mm-hmm. Now, they have a really massive, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, advocacy group. That's not what I'm looking for, but basically yeah. big Body. advocacy. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge group out there that uh, are lots of interest groups that yeah. push 1031 exchanges. So as a result, there's um, there's good defense and you never see it actually eliminated from the code. It's also like changing the rules of the game halfway through, you know, our, our strategy is, you know, essentially some, if the 1031 tax deference wasn't an option, we may have a different strategy with our buildings aside from refinance, 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 1031. Um, you know, so that, that tool is so important to real estate and it's so important to not just the wealthy. I mean, a lot of people who invest with us are sophisticated investors, you know, putting their IRA to work, diversifying some of their IRA into real estate. They, they are not, you know, super wealthy individuals. So it's really, a, 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 a important tax tool that I think, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of put it on the chopping block and say, oh, it's for the, but it, the truth, it, it would offset the whole commercial market. And uh, it would probably get the politician voted out of office, which uh, most politicians are not trying to do. So I, I think it is going to stay in place, hopefully uh, indefinitely. And that's yeah, that's yeah. absolutely. Well, this is great. So how can people reach out to you if they have tax questions or looking for tax services? How can they uh, reach you and learn more about your services? So um, if you want to if you want to join our sort of ecosystem of our community, um, we are building a big Facebook group called Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. So you can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors. You can connect with me on Twitter at B Hall CPA. And if you're interested in exploring a relationship with my CPA firm, you can just go to therealestatecpa.com. There's a little tab there that says what we do. Check that out. We've got some pricing information there. We explain all of our services. And if you want to move forward, there's a big orange button that says get started. Awesome. Awesome. And what's that website one more time? TheRealEstateCPA.com. That's great. We'll put that in the show notes as well. So our listeners can check out that website and learn more. And Brandon, I'm really glad I could have you on the show here. I've watched a number of your videos and enjoyed you uh, speaking uh, at different times. So you really know your, your craft here and that's important. And I suggest my viewers and listeners uh, check out Brandon's website and learn more about his services. And boy, if you have tax questions, he's definitely the man to bounce them off. So, so thank you so much for coming on here. And uh, to our listeners as well, of course, if you're interested in learning more about the investment side of real estate and passively investing in real estate and how we reposition apartment buildings and create value for our 
private investor group. You can go to peoplescapitalgroup.com and check out our podcast episodes. We have over 75 episodes there, our blog posts as well. And uh, we also have a past webinars you can watch to enjoy how to self-direct your IRA to real estate, all different types of tips of how to diversify properly into real estate. So that's a peoplescapitalgroup.com. And thank you so much for joining the podcast here. Thank you, Brandon, for coming on. Hopefully you have a productive day and don't get nailed with a big tax burden at the end of it, right? (laughs) Thanks, Aaron, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you.